a radio show that confesses Christ without confusing the law and the gospel. A radio show that takes Scripture seriously without taking ourselves so seriously. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. And the problem that God has with that is that he didn't command it or institute it. He, he, he only wants images that he commands and institutes to be made. And when he makes himself, when, it, when the scripture says that Jesus is the very image of God, then he has made an image of himself for us, Jesus. And if we were to not have pictures of Jesus, then we would be breaking the second commandment. But now all this rests upon this moment and that you must do the right thing in order to reap the benefits of this. If you're going to be forgiven, if you're going to be atoned for, if you're going to get the imputed righteousness of God, you must then do this. And and this is what's so terrible about what we call decision theology is that it, it takes everything away of the gospel and puts it all back on the law. I mean, this is a stop the press sort of thing to see God, you know? Wow! That's amazing! Stop the song! Tell us about that! That's great! Welcome to Table Talk Radio. Pastor Wolfhunder, we have reached equilibrium. That is to say, we are gaining as many new listeners as we are losing them. So I think that's uh, uh, an achievement. <laughs> so as many, hold on. So the back door and the front door are the same size. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. There's no pressure one way or the other. It's not a high pressure system, low pressure system. <laughs> no, no, no. It's definitely We're not a high pressure and decline system. <laughs> <laughs> neutral. Well, congratulations. We, this is a we are a listener neutral th- program. This is, uh, this is a milestone for us. <laughs> Indeed. So welcome, listeners, to uh, Table Talk Radio. <laughs> this will be your only episode you'll ever listen to, so we appreciate you stopping by. <laughs> and uh, today's lineup for the singular episode you'll ever listen to is answer the question as, and oh, 10 yeah. commandments in the news. You don't want to miss this edition of Table Talk Radio. Yeah, that's great. That sounds like a good. I'm writing it down. Answer the question. But first, we play buzzwords where we give each other a buzzword, and then the other person has to try and work the buzzword in to the conversation as naturally as possible. And that usually goes pretty well, I'd say. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so natural that neither one of us ever notice if we use the buzzword. Or, or remember. <laughs> so, uh, without further ado, Pastor Wolfmiller, what's your theological buzzword? My buzzword is concupiscence. Concupiscence is the, it must be Latin. It means the tendency of our flesh towards sin, the false, the, 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 that our, the, according to original sin, we are bent towards evil and bad things. Now, the unique doctrine of the Lutheran Church, maybe some Calvinists, is that we consider, in fact, concupiscence itself to be sin. I was reading, it's an interesting thing that the Roman Catholic Church considers that Adam and Eve were created with concupiscence. That they had a desire to sin and a desire to do good. It was a kind of competing desires, but they, but that was before the fall, and they they don't consider concupiscence, in fact, to be the result of the fall, but to pre to predate the fall. That's false. Concupiscence comes with the fall, and it is itself sin. Now, I was you, why are you thinking about concupiscence so much? You're probably wondering why well, are you thinking about concupiscence so much? I'm wondering. I, I'm glad you asked that because we're trying this. I don't know. All, all our listener probably uh, subscribes to the Around the Word Bible Studies, which Eric Anderson does. That thing just rolls along, and we print out these Bible studies once a week. I don't even notice. It's great, uh, but. Um, but anyway, I'm working on the ones that are coming up, and so I'm doing this experiment where I'm just taking 
chunks of the formula of Concord, our great Lutheran confession, and editing them into Bible studies. So I just finished a three-part Bible study on Formula One, which has to do with original sin. So if anybody's interested in that, I think around the word, no, no, what does this mean, dot org or dot com, what does this mean, dot something, and you can click on the Bible studies and see what that looks like. Nice. Um, you it, thought I was going to get through the buzzword without a plug, didn't you? Nope. I didn't worry whatsoever. <laughs> so in Googling theological terms, I stumbled upon a new website for me to grab theological buzzwords. This is the uh, Alistair McGrath Dictionary of Theological Words. And uh, who is Al- Alistair McGrath, you ask? Well, he yeah. is the professor of science and religion at the University of Oxford, so you know it's got to be good. Do you want to play a little um, uh, Mythbuster when we play <laughs> yeah. buzzwords? Okay, here's my theological Mythbuster buzzword for you. Uh, consubstantiation. A term used to refer to the theory of the real presence, especially associated with Martin Luther, which holds that the substance of the Eucharist, bread and wine, are given together with the substance of the body and blood of Christ. Okay, so now There's a gr- that's the mythbuster. Oh, okay. Now we've got to confirm, deny, or deem this plausible. Now here, let me give you a little bit of background. This, this business, because the Catholic Church has the doctrine of transubstantiation, and this idea of the substantio comes to us from our friend Aristotle. If anybody's interested, you could hear my interview with Dr. Schulz on Aristotle. <laughs> See what I did there? I'm going to keep it running. Oh, uh, what does that's, this mean? That's that's two. Okay, got it. <laughs> you know what? I th- this is what I think is great. Uh, we got the Table Talk Radio, you know, where I can plug all this other stuff. But uh, whenever I'm on any of this other stuff, you I never, never ever Table Talk mention Radio. Table Talk Radio because I'm ashamed. <laughs> If anybody, you know, like, I would be. T- I'm ashamed right now, just so you know. <laughs> not ashamed enough to not do it. Anyway, um, uh, what were we talking about? Uh, oh yeah, the transubstantio. So the the Aristotle taught us the difference between uh, essence and substance, and it's helpful uh, to think about it. So the essence is the thing in and of itself. The 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 accidents are the things that surround a thing. You know, the, the adjectives that we use to describe it. And the Catholic Church says that in the Lord's Supper, the essence changes, but the accidents remain. So you have the transubstantio, the change of substance. So the substance of bread becomes the substance of the body of Christ. The substance of the wine because the, becomes the substance of the blood of Christ. But the accidents remain the accidents of bread and wine, and they use the word transubstantiation to describe it. Now, the Lutherans say, what, what do we need Aristotle for to, to, to uh, understand the Lord's Supper? We, in fact, don't. All we need is Jesus, who said, this is my body. And this is my blood. Now, the interesting thing is that the Lutherans will embrace that distinction between substance and essence. In fact, in the aforementioned Formula of Concord, Article 1 and 2, they bring up the distinction between accidents and essence or accidents and substance. But they say that the people shouldn't be troubled with these things they're helpful for theologians, but the people shouldn't be troubled with them because it just adds a layer of confusion, which we don't need because we have the scripture. So then when our friends, whoever it was who gave this definition of the Lutheran view of the Lord's Supper, say that we believe in consubstantiation, we slap ourselves in the forehead and say, guys, the, the whole <laughs> point of our critique of the Catholic thing is that you're using philosophical terms to describe it, which we do not. So this is busted. Busted. But, I mean, there was a historic... I mean, it's not like no one ever thought of 
consubstantiation before, and then Martin Luther came along and said, "Hey, uh, we can't deny the the element, nor can we deny the thing that Jesus said. This is my body, this is my blood. So I guess we're going to say that both are true." And then someone comes, "Aha!" consubstantiation. And there was already a definition for consubstantiation, and Luther said, no, that's not what I believe. Because, I mean, technically what could fit under the definition of consubstantiation would be like a 50-50 mixture. So that's, it's 50% uh, Christ's body and blood and 50% uh, bread and wine, and they're, both are there, con, substance, consubstantiation. But we would say, no, we can't deny the fullness of the elements nor the fullness of Christ's presence. So, um, I mean, it would be nice for people to actually read the position of their critique in what they're saying before they just throw out strawmen. I mean, You're just, asking a little too much. Just an idea. Okay, so your theological buzzword is consubstantiation. Now— um, let's explain. Hey, did you notice that both of our buzzwords start with con? Uh, ooh, nice. Concupiscence. Okay, um, we have about a minute before our break, so we'll we'll just uh, talk what? talk you about me. what we're going to be doing. What a monstrous then... waste of time this show is <laughs> when it comes down to it. Indeed. Well, uh, so <laughs> the way the way the uh, answer the question as works is that I ask the question, and then there's uh, three different perspectives we're looking for an answer. And the point of the game is to see how uh, various perspectives would take a different way to answer a singular question. So, what are uh, the what are the mm-hmm. worldviews on the table for today's discussion, Pastor Wolfmiller? Oh, I remember we talked about this before we came on. What was it? Uh, what are we talking well, about? Epicurean would be one. Oh, yeah, yeah. Epicureanism is one of them, and Gnosticism is one of them, and Christian is another one. This is a dangerous—don't we normally have Professor Pless come on? We do. You need, like, a theological flak jacket to play this I'm, game. I'm, I'm, i got to get my goggles. I'm pointing the uh, Pless emblem in the spotlight on the cloud. We'll see if he responds uh, sometime during the show. <laughs> What do you, maybe what, not. Maybe Lumpy can. What would the emblem for Pless be to to shine on the cloud? A cigar, probably. Yeah, cigar smoke and uh, and that uh, polo shirt with a huge stripes across it from like 1983. <laughs> That'll do. And a Mata- a Malagasy bus in the background. <laughs> see if Pless responds to that. That'd be great. All right, we'll see if if if, if uh, he's within the sound of our voice. I'm sure. He'll let us know. Okay, so that's uh, what we're doing right after this break. We'll be right back here listening to Table Talk Radio. And always, you can give us a call, 1-800-385-7652. Or if you can remember a Latin word, it's 1-800-385-SOLA, 1-800-385-SOLA. And there's always our email address, questions at tabletalkradio.org. Pastor Wolfman, there's really good at checking that inbox every day, if not twice. We'll be right back. Dance to it, doesn't matter. 
Table Talk Radio. For those who have tried everything else to get a good night's sleep. I save all the good stuff for grappling with the text, a little video Bible study that you could find at worldvieweverlasting.com. All right, now, (laughs) welcome back to Table Talk Radio. And uh, we are playing the game Answer the Question As. And uh, on the table of worldviews for Pastor Wolfman to try and answer is the Epicurean worldview, the Gnostic worldview, or the Christian worldview. And Pastor Wolfman, are you ready to hear your question? Yes. The question is, um, is a statement... I guess it's kind of so a statement. not exactly a question. <laughs> Respond to the statement as I am against this this great dichotomy between questions and statements. I yeah, I does think the it's sentence rude. self-identify as a question or as an assertion or as a question? This sentence fragment self-identifies as a complete sentence. <laughs> okay, it was this error was, self-identifies as a heresy. The game was born I mean, as, a into, as a question, but we're going to identify it as. A, <laughs> What does it As say on the birth certificate of this game? <laughs> what are we in North Carolina? What is this like 2016 3 days ago? Things have changed. Anyway, okay. We, we don't live in the, in the in the in the binary of question and assertion. Respond to this, this sentence. Is, <laughs> it says there's sentence fluidity. We need to believe in grammatical fluidity in this up in here. I mean, we were going way behind the time. <laughs> All right, the, the, like the sentence you shall be responding court. to is, <laughs> so-and-so okay. just died, but it's... The words in a group. <laughs> Let's call it the words in a group. All right, you're 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 this close to executive session, just letting you know. <laughs> um, okay, so... Oh, the, man, okay. Um, the, uh, okay, so so-and-so just died, and it's good because at least he is no longer—oh, sorry. He or she is no longer suffering, okay? okay. So you shall no respond to that, that sentence as a—got <laughs> my little Wheel of Fortune here. Uh, as a Christian. Ah! Bloop. Are you sure that's where it stopped? Yeah, it stopped at Christian. Okay. I think you know there's something to this. Uh, there, when when we speak of death as moving beyond suffering, there's something biblical about it. At least there can be. Um, well, for example, we pray. I, I I have been visit people and they will ask me all the time. But pastor, you know I'm, I think I'm ready to die. I'm ready to go and be with Jesus. Is it bad to pray that the Lord would, would end my life? And and my response to that is, well, you've been praying for that every day. I mean, every time we pray, deliver us from evil. We're praying that the Lord would take us, as we learn in the Catechism, from this veil of tears to be with himself in heaven. And so we always are looking for a uh, blessed death. Well, I was reading something the other day that made this point that that the uh, oh, I know what it was. I was reading the Luther sermon. And Luther makes this point that the more uh, the more Christian a person is, then the more they then, then the more they long for death. And the more death seems a blessed thing for them, the more secular or pagan a person is, the more they simply just want to live forever and ever and ever, and they don't want anyone to ever take their life from them. So it's one of the marks of, the, of a Christian is that we're able to face up 
uh, to death, even though it's the enemy of everything good, we're able to face up to death and receive it as a gift from God because death is being brought from this veil of tears to ourself in heaven. Now, that one of the problems of saying, well, they're not suffering anymore, is it's only, it thinks of it in the negative terms. It's not only that the Christian who dies is no longer suffering, but in fact, the Christian who dies is, is uh, rejoicing in the bliss uh, that exists before the face of, of Jesus in heaven as we wait for the resurrection. So for a Christian, that idea of being uh, free from suffering is only the smallest part of uh, the blessing of death. In fact, the least of the blessings of death. Uh, you know, all these sweet names of death, the dulce nomine morte, that the old theologians talk about, the sweet names of death in the scripture. Uh, be, de- being delivered from evil is only one of them. But we t- talk about falling asleep or uh, being gathered together with the fathers, uh, or especially the, the, perhaps the most beautiful of all is to be before the face of the Lord in heaven. And so we, we aren't just rejoicing and being free from suffering, but being present with the Lord and all these great gifts. Ah, very good. I will give you 200 Table Talk Radio points for your response. Dang! All right. Now, are you ready for the uh, next worldview to respond to the same question as? Yep. You are now going to respond to that question as a Gnostic. <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, okay, so, uh, so, so free from suffering as a yeah. Gnostic. That's yep. what you want? Yep. Now, the Gnostic, remember, the as or as I prefer to say, the Gnostic, mm-hmm. uh, it has this basic idea that material world is bad and the spiritual world is good. And so the Gnostic thinks of the this earthly life, including the stuff of our body. See how I'm, I'm hitting my body. Can you hear that? Yes, I hear it. Yep. Okay, that's good. The stuff is like a prison. So the Gnostics, for example, when Socrates, was it Socrates who drank the hemlock when he was in prison? And now his spirit gets to go to the world of four. He he gets to be set free so that this body is and and this earth is the place of suffering. And the soul uh, is unleashed from this suffering place. Uh, through death. So so they can. So and this is perhaps why we're playing this game. I see the point now is that you can look at this phrase, uh, they're done with their suffering in a number of different ways. When the Christian sees it, sees it to be free from the effects of sin. But when the Gnostic sees it, he sees it as freedom from the bonds of this created world. And that is bad because the Gnostic, you know, the main thing of the Gnostic is that they deny the resurrection. Well, maybe they deny a bunch of things. They deny that God is the creator. They deny that Jesus came in the flesh. They, and they especially deny the resurrection because why, after being set free from the prison of the body, would you want to be back in the prison of the body? Now, I'm afraid that a lot of Christians have absorbed this Gnosticism too. And they say, hey, when I die, I'm done with my body. But this is not true. We are not done with our bodies. We'll have our bodies back just like Jesus took his body out of the grave, but it'll be there in perfection. Interesting, interesting. So, uh, a, a similar perspective, but for a completely different reason. For completely different reasons, yeah. Okay. So, uh, how come it sounds like someone's trying to rap in the background of our radio show there? Um, well, I'm getting ready for a little bit of Ten Commandments in the News, and there's a annoying <laughs> video on the news item that I'm hoping to use for today's show. So just ignore that. They can't hear it, but you can. All right. Well, um, (laughs) one more here for you to... uh, Why can't this thing pause? Anyway, 
Um, so I guess the process of elimination brings us to the Epicurean worldview as to why someone would say death is uh, beneficial to end suffering. I've been thinking some about the Epicureanism. You know, the Epic- that's the in the ancient world, there was basically in Greece, you know, which is where Greece basically did the thinking for the entirety of the ancient world. Uh, it was like the brain part of the. And anyway, in, in ancient Greece, there was these two schools of thought that Paul encounters when he goes to visit Athens. It was the Stoics and the Epicureans. Uh, and the Epicureans came from the guy, Epicurus, and the Stoics came from the Stoa. That just means porch. I don't think there was actually a guy named Stoica. I think it just means they sat around the porch. Anyway, anyway, uh, Epicureanism was was basically defeated by the church because Epicurus says that the main thing that we ought to pursue in life is pleasure. But here's an interesting point. Epicurus himself defined pleasure not in the positive sense, but in the negative sense. So Epicurus said that pleasure is equal to a lack of pain. So Epicurus himself, the guy, the philosopher, was a ascetic. He he kind of he he didn't he wasn't a, a a hedonist like we would expect him to be. Right? Like you hear Epicureanism and you think hedonistic Epicureanism: eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we will die. You think of a life of excess. You think of everything that you see on TV and just looking out your window because we are shaped by hedonistic Epicureanism nowadays. But the original Epicurus was not that way. He thought that the the highest pleasure was simply a lack of pain. Now, I think this is really interesting, is that in general, we think uh, we live as hedonistic Epicureans in our day and age. But when it's time to die, we really change our perspective and we almost become kind of pure Epicureans. And we think, well, the best thing is to not suffer. So if so, if someone is suffering and has chronic suffering or something like this, then all we can think of is freeing them from pain and that that anything would be better than suffering this pain. I mean, this is really what's at the root of the kind of um, the euthanasia argument is that people when people are suffering chronic, debilitating pain, it would be better for them to stop suffering than it than it would be for them to stay alive so that. So, so you see this so that so that suffering pain becomes a, a worse evil than death itself. And in that way, this captures at least they're free from their suffering, really captures that kind of Epicurean spirit. And I think probably that little phrase, they're free from suffering. I mean, it can be understood in a Christian way and it can be understood in a Gnostic way. But I think it's particularly Epicurean when it really comes right down to it. Ah, well, now you have it. I don't have any other worldviews on the wheel to spin, and we're just about out of time for this segment. So get ready for Ten Commandments in the news coming up right after oh, this. I'm ready. Where we're gonna? I, <laughs> I am ready. <laughs> Got a couple of good news it. stories for you to uh, to analyze uh, here, Pastor. Words that self-identify as news. I'll give you. <laughs> I'll give you a little teaser. Uh, the two headlines I have before me. Um, this one says. President Obama makes transgender appointment to faith advisory group. Good heavens. We're going to have to invent more commandments to find out more things that are broken in that. And this one probably breaks like 15 out of 10 commandments. (laughs) Defying church ban, dozens of Methodist clergy come out as gay and lesbian. We'll be running those articles through the Ten Commandments in the news game just after this break. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. Don't go away. We'll be right back, right after this. 
crying out in the wilderness of the ruins of Western civilization. This is Table Talk Radio. You could be the new voice guy. If you're not easily embarrassed, tell your friends about Table Talk Radio. The daily Bible meditation blog is at rightlydividedbible.wordpress.com, where three chapters of the Bible are considered each day. Check it out. Here's a story you might expect on The Onion, but no, it is from a a legitimate news source. President Obama makes transgender appointment. Well, to what board do you think he appointed this transgendered person? Uh, To the Faith Advisory Group. Of course he did. (laughs) The White House has appointed a transgender woman to serve on the President Advisory Council's on Faith-Based Network Partnerships. Barbara Satin? <laughs> I almost read that <laughs> Barbara Satan, but I, it's S A T I N. Okay, <laughs> Barbara is an Air Force veteran and currently Barbara. serves as Assistant Faith Work Director for the National Gay and Lesbian Task Force. She is a member of the United Church of Christ. She served as the first openly transgendered member of UCC's executive council. Satin was involved in the UCC's 2003 decision to affirm the inclusion of transgender people in the full life and ministry of the United Church of Christ. Quote, given the current political climate, I believe it's important that a voice of faith representing the transgender and gender non-conforming community, as well as a person of my years, nearly 82, be present and heard in these vital conversations, Satin said, to her appointment to the President Advisories Council. All right, what, what say you, Pastor Wolf What is going on in the world? I mean, okay, we should play a game which is called, Am I a Man or a Woman?, <laughs> oh, all right. And, I can play this game. All right. And so, and because apparently this is a big question now. I mean, it's hard to, it's not as obvious as it used to be 20 seconds ago in the world <laughs> if we're, we're, if we're men or women. So it's a lot of people are apparently confused about it now. Okay. So, so how, how do the so, rules work? <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, apparently right, well, there you, are no you, rules. You just set up the scenario the sta- and then I'm, I'll, <laughs> so, I'll try to see what I can come up with. Okay. Okay. So let's say, um, uh, let's just say we're going to solve the crime. We, we got a crime to solve, and the crime is apparently my masculinity or femininity. Okay. okay. And so we're going to look at the evidence and see if that helps us solve the crime. Okay. So uh, uh, I sometimes feel very feminine. Is this evidence that I am a woman? Hmm. Well, um, this I, I think maybe one of the ways that you could ascertain the answer to your question is uh, to pull out your birth certificate and see what it says: M or F? No, 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 no. Uh, you, you're, you're, you're go- stepping way beyond the bounds of this game. Now we can do it another way. Okay, let's try this. Let's try this. All right. Uh, I have, uh, I have a body with man parts. <laughs> Does this mean I am a man? Um, yes, I think it does. I, I think, I think I can conclude that it does. Um, is this, is this that? Okay. And okay, I, and I suppose you probably even have a Y chromosome. 
<laughs> I have a body with woman parts. Does this mean that I am a woman? Uh, I think that would be a, a pretty good. I mean, I mean, ex- ex- exhibit A is going to be pretty conclusive. I, I think that that is all the evidence you need. I didn't see. Look, I used to not think that this was a, a particularly complicated question either. It's like you know, you're born, and the doctor says it's a, and he says, "Hold on, wait a minute, wait a minute, whoa, hold on." It's not so simple. Uh, this is not just a question of plumbing. We, you know, we gotta, and this is why, by the way, the the big move now is to separate uh, gender from sex. So your body has a sex, but your mind apparently has a gender, and these two things can be skewed from each other. But look, that distinction is only gonna last for the next twenty seconds because tomorrow we're gonna learn that science is finally catching up and realizing that uh, your gender uh, is, can also be bound up to your body, which can now be changed. I mean, we know it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a physical impossibility to change a, a man body into a woman body because, as you noted, the distinctions go all the way down to the root, to the DNA and stuff like this. Now, so, we should make an aside. Uh, this is kind of an important aside, is that it is possible for people to be actually born with this kind of thing confused like xxy and the different kind of chromosomes and these things are very these are a possible sort of things that's and a for, different topic and, though right and it's a completely different topic because yeah. that is not when we're talking about transgender what we are talking about what we're talking about is people with absolutely normal man parts or, or woman parts uh identifying as uh the opposite gender or uh, somewhere in between, and that's really the the topic that is it is is being questioned here. You know, you were talking earlier about this this philosophical distinction between an accident and a substance, and it seems like to me that your your uh, your gender or your sex is part of who you are. It's part of your substance. But today they want to make it a matter of accident. So just like yes. well, you're, oh, you were you were born with blonde. Yeah, you're born with blonde hair. Like, ah, I want to be a brunette. So you go get the the, the dye and you, you change it. And uh, you may feel like, oh, I want to be a redhead all of a sudden. So you go and get the dye and turn your hair red. And this is how people are treating the the, the anatomy that was given to them by God. Like, ah, I just want to change it and make it something else. And it's a matter of, I mean, I don't know. Is it the matter of their feelings? Is it a matter of their, um, I mean, what, what? process does someone go through to identify what their gender is for those who are gender confused <laughs> hey so uh, look i want to tell you this that you remember how the lutherans are trying to talk about repentance and um and they're and they're trying to uh, correct the catholic idea of of cut contrition and attrition and penance and all and all this sort of stuff and there's a line when you know almost melanchthon kind of throws up his hands in despair and he says even they don't know what they're talking about we, the, you very quickly reach that point in this whole conversation, and you realize that even the people who are talking about this have no idea what they are talking about. I was reading something. That, so there was a, a person that says that they, they identify as a heterosexual male with, uh, who is also transgender. In other words, that, that you, you can – do you see that? So, so then the question is, well, then how do you act? You know how uh, how how do you act, for example, when you when it's time to dress up, or how do you act when you are there embracing your wife at night? I mean, how you 
do you, do you see that that this is a kind of an an utter confusion? I mean, I, I've been trying to figure out how if someone say there's a man who's married to a woman, and now this man decides to become a woman, and is what is the result? Is that he now turns his wife into a lesbian? Who does she have a say in it? I mean, the the whole thing is is so fantastically um, uh, uh, confused, and 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 it is fighting against. The not only the scripture, which say that we're created male and female, but against nature, which 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 points to the fact that that there is a compatibility um, in uh, uh, not, not only with a person's body and soul in their own identity, but also with men and women in marriage. You know, uh, years ago when we were having the argument about whether we should uh, change the definition of marriage, the uh, slippery slope that defenders of marriage uh, in, cited was that, well, if you allow uh, same-sex marriage, then you have to also allow polygamy, which I think is a, a true assertion. But I wonder if anybody saw this coming, <laughs> that instead well, of denying the natural law that says uh, marriage exists because of a man and a woman, uh, instead— We've been denying—I mean, so that's that's true. You're denying natural law to say that uh, marriage can be a man and a man or a woman and a woman. But now it's just a further denial of natural law. Not only am I denying what it takes to procreate, now I'm denying even the very thing that makes me a man. <laughs> I mean, it's just—so I mean, so the, the slippery slope went a different direction in a surprising way. Well, they they are part of the same piece. I mean, it it does seem, and I think that the that the, the this is the T in the LGBT, and the, and I think that the L and the B and the G can look at the T and say, "Hey, you guys are dealing with a different problem than we are," you know, um, and, and you could and we should probably treat these as different phenomenon. But when we take maybe a half step back, when we can realize that it is all of the same piece, and it is what we talked about earlier, it's Gnosticism. That Gnosticism sees um, that my body, the created part of me, not only as the, the wrong part, you see, as the prison, hmm. but it's something now to be fought against. Yeah. Because the evil is in my createdness. My soul or my insides, that's pure. My createdness is the, is the broken part. And so now I can, I can apply... Uh, I can apply my identity to overcome the prison of my body by mutilating it or with hormones or with surgery or whatever or with makeup or however this happens. But but you bring up a good and point I can fight with against this, that prison. With this LGB being different than the T kind of thing because um I remember when the whole story came out about North Carolina passing the transgender bill the so-called bathing bathroom bill. And it said, oh, the LGBT community is outraged by this. And I thought, what does LGB care? <laughs> I mean, it's really just the T. And I, I was thinking, you know, uh, it's, the, the stat is usually that 2% of the population identifies as uh, lesbian or gay. Uh, or, I guess, bisexual, lump that 2% in there, too. But what percentage of the population represent, uh, claims themselves as T? They, they kind of need the LGB in order to be some kind of a influential movement in our nation. But by themselves, the T's are probably 0.5% or something crazy like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they self-identify as the majority. <laughs> 
<laughs> More on that right after this break. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. More to commandments in the news after this. I know It's really classy up here. Table Talk Radio will be right back. Hey, daily devotions for your family. Around the Word is found at whatdoesthismean.org. If it hadn't been for God and I, Joe, I'd been married a long time ago. Where did you come from? Where did you go? Where did you come from, God and I, Joe? If it hadn't been for God and I, Joe, I'd been married a long time ago. Where did you come from? Where did you go? Where did you come from, God and I, Joe? Self-identifying as a good radio show, this is Table Talk Radio, and uh, we have one more segment left of the program. And hey, are you denying my self-identification? I am identifying that this is awesome. Oh man, yeah. Well, who am I to who am I to contradict that with any evidence? All right, so uh, we I, were talking about this. We kind of got sidetracked by the "Am I a man or a woman?" question, which is so much more complicated. I mean, I would just see someone frozen in the Target because they got to go to the bathroom and they just don't know what to do. Yeah, I mean, normally that was like a one-minute game, but we got a whole segment out of that. That's pretty good. <laughs> I know, I know. Twenty seconds ago in the history of culture, the question, the game "Am I a man or a woman?" would have been pretty boring. Now it's all sorts of exciting. But but we were talking about it because President Obama, Kamikaze Duck Obama president, uh, is appointed a transgender individual <laughs> person. I don't know if that's can you self-identify as a not person anyway, has a, to be the the faith community czar or whatever we call these people. What was that? The President's Advisory Council on Faith-Based Neighborhood Partnerships. Good heavens. It's like, hey, I appoint you to go spit in their face. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Here's a finger to poke in the eye. Say it's from me. (laughs) Good heavens. From from President Obama. (laughs) That is obnoxious. I mean, that is uh, that is so obnoxious. Yeah, so I mean, here are people with a Bible hanging around. I mean, I don't know if the United Church of Christ has any Bibles anymore. Mm. Uh, but if they have a Bible, they might read in there that God created them, male and female, in his image, etc. That that's an, probably an important assertion that the church has made. And also, uh, every, every other uh, person who's been alive in the history of humanity has acknowledged that man and woman is different until like, you know, five minutes ago, the whole history of humanity. And now we got to have the, now the the faith coordinator from Obama. Oh my goodness. Okay. So let's talk about the 10 commandments here. Now, you know what? So we have to back it up because it's not only the commandments, but especially with the first commandment and the first article of the creed and 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 God, the fact that we say that God created the world is really at play here, Uh, that this is a this is a um, and the whole LGBT thing ought to be understood as a as a flight from creation. Now, I want to make another little amendment because we talked about the amendment of the people who actually 
could have um, of distorted identity Hold from on. creation. Hold on. Is there a second to the amendment? <laughs> oh, I get it. What? Second. No, oh, yeah. Okay. All in favor. <laughs> I also should you say get two minutes to speak some, to your emotions. <laughs> some of these, some of these troubles that people have with their gender or sexual identity, as well as their, um, uh, as well as their kind of internal proclivity towards, uh, towards marriage or away from marriage and stuff like this. But we have to say that these can can be very real struggles. And that when we're dealing with individuals who have these various different temptations, that this needs to be handled with some compassion, realizing that we live in a broken world and that the image of God, which exists from creation, is going to be broken. And we want to be able to handle it with, a, with tenderness and, ad- and address these sorts of things. But to, but to take these, these kind of simple definitions and just say that they are not signs of brokenness, but rather signs of beauty or something like that, is is really to to uh, it's it's abusive, you know. If 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 someone says that, hey, I got problems because the because the picture of myself in my brain and the picture of myself in the mirror are distorted from each other, then we want to deal with them with a great with a great deal of tenderness. If the you know if this beautiful young woman comes to us and says, I think I'm fat. You know that her she sees herself as ugly and fat, and you look at her, and she's slim and beautiful. When we say, "Hey, there's something wrong there," and we want to work on fixing that brokenness, and we want to work on bringing our subjective understanding of ourselves in line with the objective reality of our body, but then when someone does that with gender, we just say, "Oh no, you you the whole world has to conform to your own broken self identity," and that's that's abuse of people it really can do real damage and now the 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 requirement to abuse people has been made the legal requirement of the land uh, i mean th- this is really what's at stake i'm looking at this article Manhattan Rec Center struggles to make locker rooms work for everyone. Here's the first line. Girls from a swim team in New York City's Upper West Side are too scared to use the women's locker room at the Parks Department swimming pool. In March, a sign appeared noting that everyone has the right to use the restroom or locker room consistent with their, quote, gender identity or gender expression. (laughs) Around the same time, the girls, who range in age from about 7 to 18, became concerned after they saw a, quote, bearded individual end quote in the women's changing room well right they should be concerned and so should the parents and so should everyone i mean this is just it's like throwing it's like throwing gasoline on a fire there's going to be people who are going to be hurt not only the people who are confused about their identity but the people around them wait a minute maybe it was the bearded lady from the circus you know best construction (laughs) <laughs> That's right. Well, man, that lady's got a hairy back. <laughs> I'm sorry, I brought it up. Go, go on. Do you go know on. that they had they had this, this about the pregnant man? You know, you if you're pregnant, you're not a man. This is just it's just, it's absurdity. It self identifies as sanity. <laughs> But it's gonna the whole thing collapses under its own weight. I mean, you know that you know the thing that collapses out is parents with kids, especially young girls, who look at this thing and say, You're crazy. We're not putting our young girls in the bathroom with with hairy bearded men. You're nuts. Or lack thereof. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the problem is. Uh, 
Well, uh, so, so oh, so we were supposed to be talking about the Ten Commandments. So this is this is a flight from creation, and and for Obama to do that for the faith community, it's a fourth commandment thing that has government. It's a third commandment thing that says that churches should believe the Bible. It's a it's a fourth commandment thing that says father and mother, and not self identified as whatever. It's the sixth commandment that defines marriage. Um, it's the eighth commandment that wants us to pursue truth and not insanity. Uh, so there you go. All right. So I, we only have three minutes left. But I want to get your reaction to this story. The headline from CNN says, Defying church ban, dozens of Methodist clergy come out as gay and lesbian. It says... Uh, dozens of United Methodist clergy members came out as lesbian, gay, or bisexual on Monday, defying their church's ban on, quote, self-avowed practicing homosexuals, serving in ministry and essentially daring their supervisors to discipline them. In a letter, in a public letter posted online, 111 pastors, deacons, elders, and candidates for ministry uh, said church rules require, quote, that we not bring our full selves to ministry, that we hide from view our sexual orientations and gender identities. While some of us have been lucky to serve in places where we could serve honestly and openly, there are others in places far more hostile who continue to serve faithfully, <coughs> who continue to serve faithfully, even at tremendous cost to themselves, their families, and yes, even the communities they serve, who do not receive the fullness of their pastor's gifts because they're because a core part of them must remain hidden. All right, two minutes, go. What I can't believe is that the United Methodist Church still says that homosexuality is a sin. And I think the reason they do it is because they let the churches that are not in the United States have something to say about it. Ah, interesting. Uh, But which is weird because United Methodists are like the liberal of the liberal. So it's really weird that they are still holding on to this. And it had to happen. I mean, once you look, 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 you have to ask this basic question. Are we going to let the Bible determine what's right or wrong or are we not? And the churches, the liberal mainline churches, decided about 100 years ago that they're not, that they're not going to let the Bible decide what's right or wrong. They're going to let culture have a say in it, and they're going to pretend that the Holy Spirit speaks through culture, even though he never promised to do so. And the result is going to be a constant capitulation to what the culture says. So this is Fifth Commandment, Sixth Commandment, oh, sorry, Sixth Commandment, Fifth Commandment, Fourth Commandment, Third Commandment, First Commandment, Ninth and Tenth Commandment, Eighth Commandment. I don't think it actually breaks the seventh commandment, uh, although we might have to read a little more. I'm sure we could find it there. Uh, I like this part. I don't like this part where they say um, all these gay and lesbian pastors who are continuing to serve faithfully. What What's the standard of faithful serving in the United Methodist Church if you can uh, contradict the scriptures and the fact that you're—I mean, I guess that's always been the case. I mean, you could be a lady pastor and say, I'm a faithful—I mean, <laughs> the contradiction, I'm a faithful lady pastor. <laughs> well, yeah, that's right. I mean, because as long as faithfulness isn't described by the scripture, but rather whatever your church tradition is, then, you know, there you have it. Man, I got a good story to tell about this, but I bet we're running out of time. Yeah, I'm afraid that is probably all the time that we have. If you oh, it's have the any... best story. Sorry, it's the most fantastic story. Oh man, the yeah. most beautiful and wonderful story that I even know how to tell. It's so insightful. It unfolds the whole Bible once, but I we don't not. have time. All right. Well, thanks for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio, where the points self-identify as valuable. <laughs>
Thanks for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. Table Talk Radio is not for everyone. Good. Please heaven. consult your pastor before listening to Table Talk Radio. Side effects may include nausea, vomiting, headache, heartburn, hair loss, hallucinations. Run for the hills, senses, folks. Aquatic imagery, psychosis, coma, death, halitosis, lung cancer, brain tumors, yeah. sleep pain, internal bleeding, <laughs> internal combustion, a sudden craving to smell your backseat, claustrophobia, an uncontrollable urge to fight the capitalists on Twitter, and falling off your treadmill. For more information, visit tabletalkradio.org.